And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch. From growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Eric and Jamie Perkins, the well-known Perkins Brother Builders. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having us. Hey, glad and to be and, here, buddy. We, and that was Eric and then Jamie. So we, normally we're, we're uh, confused about which Matt is is being addressed uh when when my uh usual co-host the esteemed master watson's here now before we get too far into this today's episode of startup hustle is brought to you by fullscale.io helping you build a software development team quickly and affordably and with that we're going to talk about building something completely different than software today we're going to finally get around to talking about construction startups and I don't think I could probably have two better people than the Perkins brothers. Now, you guys know I love it when you're interactive, so I want you to go to Perkins Custom Homes. But what I really want you to do is go find these guys on YouTube so you can join the 120,000 subscribers that their channel has where they taught me how to use a speed square yeah. and finally <laughs> and finally removed that mystery. I will tell you I had multiple facepalm moments and i realized that i am better off doing what i do now than building homes so once again eric and jamie perkins so gentlemen let's talk about building stuff and then we'll talk about some other things but it, so so what's the backstory where where did the where's this business come from all right so I, this is eric speaking i'm the older brother so i'll go ahead first uh so we, we own a custom home construction business we're contractors and uh, we actually took this company over from our dad about 20 years ago. He was an architect and a builder, and he was going to retire. And he said, boys, if you want this business, it's yours. And, and growing up, I was like, there is no way. Because he made us work when we were teenagers, like 14 years old, like building stuff. And it was the worst. And so in my head, I'm like, there's no way I'm doing this when I grow up. It's not going to happen. So uh, I actually went to college for four years, and I got a computer science degree. But Jamie little brother, I'll let him talk. He got his contractor's license. He's the man. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you real quickly what happened with that. You know, we we're riding in the van. My dad was big into vans. Every time we went on vacation, we'd be in one of these, these like uh, Econoline Ford, like, you know, 29 foot long vans. Right. So we're all sitting in the van. He says, you know, you should consider being a builder because, you know, you can make decent money and you could just go right out of, you know, school, like high school and be a builder and make good money around here. And so to me, that seemed like a good idea. And uh, the limit on age for being a contractor in the state of North Carolina is 18. You have to be at least 18. There are a few other requirements, but I decided to go for it. I said, you know, I don't think I want to go to the four-year college route and uh, went and took a class at my local, um, like, uh, it was called Southwestern Community College, you know, community college that did a class on the preparation for the state contractor's exam. And uh, took that class, took three months, passed the state contractor's exam uh, during the last month of high school, and graduated high school with my contractor's license and just took off from there. Wow, I didn't even realize that I've already learned more about being a contractor than I already knew. So, <laughs> all right. So, um, <laughs> I have a question. Well, I have, I have a question. So, when you get a second, like a home building company, when it goes from from first generation to the next generation, what are you actually, what are you, what are you like, what comes with that? Cause you guys have been in the business. Was it custom home building? Did you get clients, tools, reputation? Like where did that come from? Or is it just kind of like, Hey, here's the entity and take that on. Well, in our case, uh, there was not much anything except for the name Perkins. And we're in a small town and I'm telling you, even to get on this podcast was trouble because of 
the internet and computers, like most people have dial up where we live. So we live in the mountains, in the woods, in a small town. And the name Perkins was synonymous with building a good house. And so all we did was change the phone number on our business cards. And now all of a sudden, we, we've never advertised actually ever. We have a website, um, but that was only a year ago or something. We actually made a website. Our phones just ring with clients wanting us to build a house because of you know, the Perkins name in our little local area. Yeah, and it's really just the word of mouth um, that we got all the business. Um, my dad had built up a great reputation for building a quality home, not an extravagant, uh, not extravagant, I will say, but a quality solid home. And so um, people just, just knew that if you got him to do it, you couldn't lose. And uh, yeah, I think there's, I mean, you can't put a value on that. I mean, that's, that's, I've always been fascinated with the value of a brand and there's an intent, like what's the, what's that little G from Google worth if you put it on a product? you know, like, or whatever, you're like, oh, well, I, you, re you, know, you recognize it, but what's the, what's the brand worth? And, yeah, and, absolutely. you know, and, and now I, I know, Eric, I know, you know, this, Jamie, I don't know if you know this, but I, I lived in North Carolina for a while and you guys uh -huh. are in the Western side of the state, but I traveled all over and, you know, like I, I could really see that being really important in the small towns. Cause I, I just know that, you know, there was, um, I like to say that things were a bit more deliberate there, meaning just like, you know, like the, the, the some history and, and, and liking that. And then I think also I, I would assume that the, the children of the well-known builder would be pretty damn good at building. Um, yeah, we had so to be to survive. I, <laughs> so our dad would come behind us and literally after we'd hit a nail in, he'd, he'd come hit it one more time, you know, and it was like that for no matter what you were doing, you know, there was the one extra of dads coming behind you. To, to just make sure. Uh, I have a thought here. This is really nothing I've ever thought of before, but uh, Matt, what you said about having, having my dad before us to establish that, that uh, business um, made me think, I'm not really sure what it would look like for us in the beginning if we didn't have what he had already established in place. I'm, I'm not real sure. And honestly, I've never really thought about it because that's just the way that it's always been. But it's just something you know, it makes me wonder. I wonder, could we have uh, been as successful? Maybe not as immediately, um, maybe over time, but without his reputation and his name uh, standing in this community as a reputable name, what would it have been? Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening from small towns. Like, that's the thing is people know other people in small towns. Like, they really know you. So there's no hiding behind anything around here and that, well that door swings both ways i mean to, to pun intended there yeah <laughs> i mean you can you can, ru you can ruin a reputation way faster than you can build one now so okay so you mentioned like hey you know we went you went from like all right we're we have a name we didn't even have a website all of a sudden we've got a youtube channel with 120,000 subscribers which by the way I just met you guys 10 days ago and you've got 10,000 more subscribers. Something, wow. you, you know, something, yeah, you know, something about something now, you know, what are you doing different than dad did? Cause I get, there had to be something. <laughs> I mean, just you're, I, unless your dad has a YouTube channel, you haven't no. told me about no. or had a different web presence. We we're unaware <laughs> of There's yeah. a different take on building and marketing and, and brand and branding. Well, you know, here's one thing I can say as, as a Perkins, um, which my dad's a Perkins, obviously, uh, we're very passionate about whatever it is we're doing. And uh, he was passionate about building and he's like an outdoor enthusiast and does these crazy uh, all day paddleboard races and triathlons. And he's very passionate about that. And when I started the YouTube channel, I thought this, you know, this could be something. And so I put a lot of work into it. And um, I didn't listen to my wife who told me that I was wasting my time. <laughs> and that I would never make a dime off of YouTube. And, you know, you just have to press on even when you don't think it's going to work out immediately sometimes. Well, look, everybody, everybody, I say people are, I don't have any experience. I don't have a following. I'm, okay. No one did until they did. Yeah, gotta, well, gotta, absolutely. Nike well, says it best. Now, now, by the way, your YouTube channel is certainly not driven by the population of Bryson City, which is fourteen hundred and fifty, according oh, to Google. <laughs> wow. Well, that's the twenty-eight count. It might have yeah. gone up by thirty-three. 
uh, since then. If they, yeah, that um, sounds about a reasonable number. But uh, yeah, yeah. like I said, it's a, it's a world it's a worldwide view. But and let's talk about that for a second. So what's it like? I, okay, I didn't realize Bryson City had fifteen hundred people in it. Uh, it's really small. It, Hey, can I like built in social distancing on that one? Yeah, there's, there's, there's people no to be near. Yeah, um, yeah. I gotta say I, something sure. uh, kind of funny. Back when I was in high school, so like you know, around 2000, Swank County, you know, being a very small and isolated, even I'm gonna say geographically isolated county, uh, because of the distance from larger cities. Okay, uh, you gotta want to come out here for something. You don't just like accidentally stumble across this place, right? Uh, but Swain County, uh, back in the day, was number one in a couple of things, as far as we were um, made known back uh, from from the, uh, I don't know, maybe the teachers or whoever told us this, but apparently we were number one in teen pregnancy and poverty. Yeah, so that's true. That's Swain County for you. Oh, and maybe maybe Friday night football. That's another thing that was a yeah. highlight. Well, it's not hard. It's not hard to see to statistics sway one way or the other with that small of a sample size, you know. And that's, I mean, that's one thing, and that's why I don't buy too much into those demographics. But so, so Eric, you mentioned, you know, your uh, your wife saying, "Oh, you're not going to ever make any money doing that." That I've learned that the more people tell me that I'm crazy or that I won't make money, either somehow it just drives my yeah, need to accepted. actually get it done. Or it's a signal flare that I might actually be on to something. It's complete reverse logic. But, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be fascinated with that. So let's talk about the YouTube hmm. channel for a second. Like, what made you want to start it? And how did you go about doing that? That's a great question. Uh, so we were actually interviewed by Discovery Network, which is HGTV and that whole conglomerate. Some guy called me one day. My cell phone just rings. It's a California phone number I pick up. It's HGTV, and they want to interview us to have our own HGTV show about building houses, two brothers building custom homes. So we actually never had the idea before that. We had a Hollywood-type interview, and we did not get it. So uh, we don't even know who got it. They wouldn't tell us. But, you know, we were kind of bummed. We, were, you know, we told our friends and our wives, like, wow, we might be on HGTV. We might, you know, get to do something different, and uh, it didn't work out. So a couple months later, I thought, you know, and I actually have a little bit of background in, in uh, multimedia from college. So uh, I told Jamie, like, I think we could just make some videos and put them on YouTube. Like we can make our own videos, right, about construction. Mm -hmm. And we started doing that. And I'm going to tell you, Matt, they were, they were horrible. And, and my wife told me they were horrible. And, they, and I kind of watch them back now. And, and not to say what we have now is amazing or anything, but they were really bad. And uh, like maybe 12 people would watch one or six people would watch one. And, uh, but I just kept doing it and trying to tweak it to where it was better. What was your take on this? Were you, were you equally wanting to do the channel, Jamie? Um, well, first of all, I got to say, I have zero computer experience really. Okay. So, um, my ability to contribute is not in the uh, computer realm, um, of any kind. So, you know, I, I was equally as bummed, Diana, that we didn't get the show or whatever from HGTV. And uh, we, we had put out a short video that was like an announcement um, that we did not get selected for the show that Eric Eric made. And and just to post up to Facebook or something to let the people know that we're kind of maybe, you know, hoping that we would get the show to let everybody know we didn't get it, you know. Um, but, you know, I guess in in, um, in a lot of ways... My older brother, Eric, kind of leads the way into a lot of unknowns, okay, that I would maybe not step out into myself, okay? Uh, there's, there's definitely a lot of things. So I think this was something that Eric was was more excited about or maybe just more confident that he could uh, pull it off, you know, first of all, uh, from a, a filming and editing and posting, managing uh, perspective, but but I was right there on board the whole time, just ready to contribute in whatever way I could. Okay, and I want to get back into that in, the, in a little bit. I don't want to get too deep before we we talk a little bit more about construction startups, especially like on the level that you guys are at. So, um, and I, I couldn't really get too far in here without mentioning that people around the world are watching you, much like they're listening to us talk right now. Now, um, the good news for those of us listening is we have we say that the I've got a face made for radio, so I, I like to I like <laughs> to not not rely on YouTube 
I look so much better. I, I'm thin. I'm in great shape. I look 10 years younger than I really am, said no one. Um, but, <laughs> hey, right, you look so, good, Matt. You've got all your teeth, buddy. You're, you're doing great. Yeah, hey, I'm getting there. I'm getting <laughs> yeah. there. Um, and I'm, t- I'm really tall, so most people can't see where my hair's falling out on top of my head. <laughs> so, so as far as construction and housing startups go, you know, you guys have been in custom home building. Uh, obviously there's there's mega corporations that do big 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 stuff but mm-hmm. you know it, it as far as the startup nature now okay look you guys uh, you guys inherited a name but it doesn't sound like you inherited a company right like and right. they are different they are different like hey look there's some pedigree here but they're so as you took over the business and you move forward like what are some of the things that you learned about construction and, and housing startups well first off you're correct we inherited a name we did not inherit any uh experienced employees uh no machinery tools and assets, so, <laughs> assets you know nothing no money um, basically when you're a custom home builder, people have to trust that you are going to do a good job for them and you're not going to cheat them. Cause there's a lot of people that have been cheated by contractors where, you know, they take the money and run. And that's why people do go to bigger companies for the fear of that. But really people call us and tell us, we don't want a bigger company. We want somebody that's there, that's building the whole house with their eyes on it to make sure everything's happening the way they want it. That's where we get our clients. So, and by the way, like, I mean, you really did have kind of, you had a startup and a name. I mean, that's the whole thing that that went with that. Now, so Jamie's graduating. He gets the contractor's license. That has to exist. Is there, is there a large amount for home builders for like what you guys do? What's like, what kind of capital requirements are needed? Like if we want to fund our our new software company, like we might have to go out and find someone to put a million bucks down. I got to do a bunch of different mm-hmm. stuff. Got, you know, like what's that look like for the, for the, um, for the, for a couple brothers that are, are building custom homes. Well, I'll say this for, um, for getting a contractor's license, the capital amount is very low. The state requires a certain amount of cash on hand for the individual to have. And that does restrict some people from getting their license, even if they could pass the test. Uh, but passing the test is hard enough in itself. But, you know, the way that my dad developed his business from basically nothing, the way he describes it to us, and, and the way that we uh, could pass on advice to other people wanting to start businesses, that you get something that's attainable. You know, start with something small that you can accomplish and make enough money to roll over into the next slightly larger thing, into the next slightly larger thing, and potentially doubling each time. And then you can begin to you know, have an amount of capital on hand that you could consider, well, maybe I could really do something that I want to do now with this and invest into a property that you could buy and flip or invest into a property that you want to convert into a rental or different things like that. So I think it's just a matter of scaling uh, in the beginning with small things and building up to something bigger. Eric, what are your, what's your take on some of that? Well, I think everything you said is true. Uh, We work on the schedule of banks. Um, Usually we've had a few cash clients, but uh, mostly we get paid from banks directly from a bank and uh, we get paid for work that we have accomplished. So we do have to float the beginning of many jobs with capital, uh, whether it be credit cards, even sometimes Uh, when you're a builder, you can get a credit card with a pretty high limit. Uh, and then also you have uh, distributors like Lowe's or we use Jennings Builder Supply that also give you a really high credit limit because they know you don't make any money until something's actually accomplished. They want you to buy their things, build a house, be their client. And so a lot of times you are floating a bit of the house to start with if you don't have the capital yourself. And so that's always a little scary, um, waiting on that first bank draw. And uh, we, we like banks, but banks have it figured out, I'll tell you. Um, they will pay you exactly the amount that you owe <laughs> to all your building suppliers and your crew. And I, they've got this figured out to where you really cannot pay yourself uh, as a contractor till the job is done. And uh, that's probably smart so that, that contractors finish the jobs. So, you know, one of the things that that I've become well acquainted with is, all right, so now you got the bid. Right. And I, th- that's something where there's clearly a lot of variable, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
And, and to me, if, at least from the outside looking in, that seems to ha- present the largest risk profile because you have Absolutely. people competing for the job. And I, I mean, the people that I've known that have been in around a construction or even like the building of product of some sort, like people that are making tangible things, not just software and a server, which by the way, has the same problem. Uh, if you're off on the bid, so if you're building a half a million dollar home for someone and you're off by 5%, that's $25,000. And that, that can may be have a big impact. all the money you're going to make. <laughs> is, is that yeah. something that, that presents a risk, especially for people that may not have experience, like trying your eye, for my kids, I say your eyes are bigger than your stomach because, you know, they want seven pieces of pizza, but they're three and five years old. They don't can <laughs> Good job. So what what what's that look like? And is that something that can really get you upside down in a hurry? It is, Matt. And it's really scary. Um, this is Eric speaking. And I, I do most of the bidding and contract work myself because I'm the one that can work a computer. Uh, better than... <laughs> <laughs> no, Jamie, oh, Jamie, Jamie's the woodworking yeah. wizard, but don't like don't even put him in front of a computer. I'm serious. Um, so I do that in the scariest moment of anything I do is not hanging off some scaffolding 30 foot in the air, trying to nail on the top piece of siding on some, you know, mountainside home. It's, it's hitting the send button on the email that says, here's what we'll build your house for. And there's been many nights where I'm sitting alone at midnight in front of this very computer I'm sitting in front of now. And I'm like, I need to get a beer um, and, and drink it and think for a second. And, and then I do that and I was like, I'm still not ready. Did I miss something? I might have missed something. And I go back over the numbers five more times. And at some point, you just have to say, I think this is it and hit send. And then you're like, I hope that was, I hope that was it. And I put a lot of work into figuring out before that moment. But still, there's that, there's that scary moment where you know you're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you are off, you know, you could be in really big trouble. Hey, uh, Eric, I was just thinking maybe you should tell. Uh, Matt and the listeners, the way that we do our our contracts, uh, or at least the type of contract pricing that we do, to make it a little more clear about the risk involved for us. Yeah, and if we got a second, Matt. So, so we do a fixed price. Which yeah, is, please. You no, know, this. I mean, this is this is. I mean, this is the business. I mean, and the cash flow. Yeah, part this, of it was this the, is how you figure out how to do it. Um, so you can do it cost plus, where you charge the client a percentage of the total cost of the house, and that's maybe safer in a way. Um, but it's a lot more work to keep track of every shred of receipt and explain every purchase to the client in a way that you, you know, we had to buy this. Um, the way we do it is a fixed price. And that's, this is the cost of your house for these exact plans and this exact spec sheet with allowances. And that's just items. We don't know what it is yet. So like cabinets, we might, we might not know exactly the cabinets you want, but we're going to say you have, $15,000 to spend on your cabinets. If you want to spend more, fine, we'll charge it to you. If you want to spend less, fine, we'll give you the money back. So there are areas where if we don't know exactly what it is to avoid risk and, you know, expedite getting the project going, um, we just have those numbers in place as a placeholder uh, for those items. Yeah, I have a I have a good friend who works for a large construction company. His his, his job is to uh, his job is to be is to be the guy that approves the bid, and you know he does his parent category is between the ten and twenty million dollar bid range, and wow. so he used to live across the street from me. He helped me do some work in my kitchen, and he came over and literally like on like basically the back of his hand wrote down all the parts I needed and everything. And he was off by like, he was mad at himself because he was off by a dollar when we went to Lowe's. And it was like, I don't know, man, it didn't even seem like a big deal. He's like, God, my variance was way off. And I was like, dude, you're off by a dollar. Like that guy's probably a wizard. Really? Oh, he really is. I mean, he's got a master master's degree in it. He's really good at it. But and I told him, because I think we spent like a hundred bucks. He's like, dude, if I'm off 1% on a $20 million building, we're screwed. You know, but I was like, I, I was like, I was yeah, just fast scary fact that that's he knew how much prospect. a screw cost, like a screw or yes, whatever, it, like a little absolutely. clamp to hold a pipe to a yeah. wall. Or, you have to know, know how much stuff costs, like a lot of different items. Um, you know, we keep track of it in spreadsheets, but also in our head, because it fluctuates. 
all the time. You could, a sheet of plywood might cost eight bucks today and it might cost 14 bucks next week. And so there, there is a risk and, and we build a small buffer in, and that's always a smart thing I'm going to say to anybody listening, if you're looking to be a contractor and you price jobs, and actually I have a video about this specific thing that if you don't put a little bit of buffer in on a fixed price, you're always going to lose money. Yeah. We always spend yeah, the yeah. buffer. It's yeah, the not, buffer is always spent. It's never it's, profit. It's not padding. It's not profit. It's not whatever people want to call that, that, that think they're, you're just getting charged extra for something for us to pocket, man. That money goes into the project every time and usually a little bit more. I've uh, I've mentioned this several times in past episodes. So, you know, part of what I end up doing with different people or even companies we've invested in or done different stuff with is modeling out the, their, their business. And there's a pretty exact science to that. I would imagine it's similar to bidding out a, a home. But I always put a line in there that just says, oh, shit. And people look at that. They're like, what's this? Oh shit line. I said, that's there for all the times you're going to say, Oh shit. We didn't think of that. We didn't consider that. We didn't know that because go into this unknown, you know, it's like, you don't know if there's a a hidden boulder under that property that you're going to have to blow up. Well, yeah. Well, that's the, and that's why I put that in there because I think I've learned that uh, if you spend enough time around me, you're going to hear me yell. It's always something. Like that's kind of like turning into my dad line because it is, there is always something. Um, so, and speaking of something, so I would imagine that your big greatest cost outside of the materials is labor, right? Absolutely. So, so how, how do you, how do you have any idea how long, how much labor it's going to take to do stuff? Is that all? I mean, cause I know you can get pretty exact with, <clears throat> with material, but I would think that would have a huge variance. Eric, I'll take this just quickly. Uh, It can vary drastically. There are so many different conditions that can be different from job to job, including how far up the mountain is this thing? How much time am I going to be paying my guys when they're basically on the clock, but they're driving up and down this mountain and I'm paying them for that time. Um, But what we used to do on smaller jobs is we would actually write down day one, this is what we can accomplish. And we would say, all right, uh, dig the footings. Day two, pour the footings. Day three, lay three courses of block. Day four, another three courses up through the basement. Day five, build the framing for the floor system. Day six, plywood the subfloor on that floor. And we would go through the entire building process, literally day by day, marking it out on a calendar and, and, you know, putting in a few extra days, considering rain days. And then we would, you know, figure out how many hours of labor per, um, you know, man hour that we have and all that. And we would literally come up with what we thought was a very precise uh, amount of labor that it would take. And then, you know, you got to decide, okay, how much of a buffer or how much of a, uh, how conservative do we need to be in this estimate? Because, you know, you take the risk in a fixed price of, if you just charge too much, they're going to walk away. Okay. You don't want to, you don't want to do too little and then us eat it and end up not making money. You don't want to do too much and scare the customer away thinking that, that you're just overcharging. So it's, it's a fine line, but we've, it is. we've, we have used that method. And I think anybody could do that if they have a realistic idea of what it, takes it actually work. takes. Yeah, it takes some work, like Jamie is saying, to figure it out. And I do this stuff mainly now, and I've switched from the day to the week. How many weeks is it going to take us to do this project based on us having an average of four guys plus me and Jamie on the job, you know, every day? And so, you know, I'll say, is this going to take 19 weeks or 20 weeks or 22 weeks? And then we simply, you know, do the math of our, you know, what are we, we pay our guys. Uh, times 20 weeks and oh well and don't forget this guy you know workman's comp you cannot forget you know that's mm-hmm. a huge number on top of what you pay your guys uh in a business where it's it's risky you can get injured um even if you're careful so that's um another thing that you know you got to throw in there with any business but i think it's a little more even in the construction industries the, well i mentioned the oh shit line so like one of the things and you know i've i dude i've seen so many business plans at this point and not mine just mine or others it's for example like most if people that don't have experience don't understand that uh employers pay taxes in addition to the taxes that employees pay and yes. you talk about workman's comp and other stuff and oh, yeah. it's, it's commonly referred to as a burden rate because it's a burden that's a good name but, i've not heard that one well no wow. that's like the, that's the <laughs> yeah. real that's the real term so wow. like for example like whenever we take labor we put 20 percent on top of it for our domestic employees and then and then so i have 180 employees that are in the philippines too so i get to learn how this works in two different countries which wow 
it's never it's always I, people are like what's it like to have a bit own a bit a company in the philippines i'm like it's the same but different you know because but mm-hmm. but there's things that you mentioned like so that burden rate i, I mentioned think about that we we estimate 20 percent. so that's payroll taxes that's unemployment like workman's comp type stuff uh, yeah, 401k health insurance that kind of stuff. And so you better off to estimate high on that. And so if you don't think about that, and uh, I, I'm telling you, it's like, I get, we get people that show up and they want to build an app and they don't, and they haven't given any budgeting or modeling to the fact that when that Apple will take 30% of your <laughs> money. Mm. Yeah. But think about that. You show up and like, you, here's your business model. I've broken hearts. Yeah, telling them that and getting that understanding and even things like credit card, uh, credit card merchant fees, you know, Visa takes three percent, two to 3% of every single transaction. And that might not sound like a, a whole lot, but when they charge 35 cents per transaction and you're collecting a $7 a month subscription, suddenly that is a sizable portion of your revenue. Yeah, And, you know, you can get it gets backwards in a hurry. So now with that, do you have, is there a, is there a fail somewhere in here that you'll never forget when it came to a bid or a build or something like, tell us, tell us where the fabulous Perkins brothers have learned a lesson. I'll tell you, there's plenty. I mean, it's not a fail. I mean, we've been doing this since we were like teenagers. So uh, you can imagine maybe, maybe Jamie can take this. I I don't know. I mean, there's plenty. (laughs) I don't even know which one to go with. You know, I mean, you can overspend in so many ways. I I think, I mean, uh, I don't know. There's so many different types of fails we could describe. But uh, financially, you could say, you know, at the end of the job, the realization that you didn't make as much money as you thought that I kind of call that a fail. But, you know, we work for a long time, months at a time on a particular project. And then at the end, see, we, we may not know exactly how much we will make at the end of a job. We may have an idea. And then when you find out that that amount is only half of what you thought and you realize you still got bills coming in after that job is done, you've already started your next job. You've already paid yourself for that job. And then you get a bill for $5,000 from one of the suppliers that you forgot that you didn't pay during the period of that job. And guess what? That five grand just came out of your potential profit on the next job that you started. And that stings a little bit. Absolutely. Welcome to entrepreneurship, yeah. everyone. And I'll say that the worst yeah. one, uh, one of the worst fails was when we when we scaled up from <laughs> just Jamie and myself and maybe one guy here and there, and we we were getting so many jobs and so many calls to do work. We said we should really scale up our crew. Let's get four or five or six guys all working at once. Let's blow these things out and and do better. And so we did that for like a year and a couple months. And uh, then it was time to get audited for our workman's comp. And like usual, they did our audit with our, uh, our accountant. It was no big deal. <laughs> so we thought. And then I got a letter in the mail saying, um, you owe uh, $24,000 to your workman's comp insurance. Uh, and that's payable immediately or we're shutting you down. And that was one of the worst phone calls. And, and we're talking, I'm in my mid-20s. We have no money. I mean, all the money we make, we spend on trying to buy ourselves homes and vehicles and the things we needed to live. We, we have no money saved. I had to pick up the phone, call Jamie. Uh, hey, uh, do you have $12,000? Cause we're both <laughs> going to have $12,000 we owe immediately back. And it, it really was like, wow, we scaled up, but how did we make any more money after having to pay this workman's comp? And what it was is they just didn't do the normal quarterly estimate. They waited a whole year. And that's what got us. So we've learned a lot. Um, there's been so many other fails where we just didn't get paid at all at the end of a job. Um, yeah. People, you know, there's bad people out there that just, they had a plan from the start to not pay you. Um, yeah. And um, there's been a lot of times where it was one of those dark nights at midnight sitting awake thinking, man, I've worked for six months for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like sounds like an oh shit line and yeah on the yeah. I, I mean that's but that's but here's the thing though yeah that's why you put that stuff in there like as a you you need to just assume that some shit's gonna go wrong and the oh shit line is a valid thing and then if you do better than that then you you're winning 
because uh, if you're if you're planning your business and it's that thin, uh, if you know that, I mean, well, here's the thing: is you get behind that eight ball, and then you get behind it, and you get behind it, and that's a lot of people get themselves in trouble because they don't pay that five thousand dollar invoice. They don't do some other stuff. Next thing you know, it all balls up. Jamie, did you have a comment? I had one more story. I'm almost too embarrassed to tell it. Do you think I should, or do you have time for this? I do. I don't even know what it is, but I know you should tell. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we got all night. Okay, gonna, uh, we'll talk. We'll talk until we run out of stuff that's okay. interesting to talk about. However well, long that takes is however okay. long our episode. You, you know how when some people say something really stupid they did, it makes you feel good about yourself. Um, this may be uh, one of those things that makes somebody are we else talking about me talking to my wife. Or are no, we no, about we different? no. That was no. I think that was a different show. But um, so uh, this <laughs> no, that one was time called every day for me. Yeah. <laughs> So um, when when um, when I first started like working full time for real with my dad, Eric was off at college, uh, you know, getting his degree, and that was a great idea. Uh, and I was working. I knew nothing about business. Okay, I I was straight fresh out of high school, uh, made straight A's. Uh, by the way, you know, did a great job in school, but um, you know, kind of teacher's pet kind of thing. But I like to say that maybe the the teachers were my pets. I, I don't know what you call that though. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so. I had no business experience, no business knowledge. You know, um, my dad handed me the business checkbook and said, here, you do this from now on. And, you know, I think that's uh, some something called like uh, experience by immersion or something like that. I'm not real sure. So a couple of years went by. I thought I was doing okay. And then it occurred to me. Now, I know this is, sounds so stupid, <laughs> but this, this is what happened. <laughs> um, I, I checked the bank statement and I realized the balance I had in the checkbook was way off from what the bank said I had. And, and it was in the wrong direction to the tune of about 10 grand, okay? So uh, a couple of years into building, I realized, man, there's 10 grand missing and I don't know where it went. And therefore I can't pay myself. So I went scrambling to the bank. I sat down with one of the nice ladies there that helped me to sift through about five years of bank statements. And I found about 10 items in that period of time that I simply had written a check and not recorded it in my register. And those items, you know, added up to 10 grand. And it was gone, and I thought it was there, and it wasn't. And, and this is before online banking was really available. Yeah, that's absolutely. not uncommon. I mean, that's not uncommon. You get busy, and you, I mean, that's the, uh, it's not uncommon at all. And you know, another here. thing, too. Hey, that makes me feel a little better. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, but I bet you don't. I bet you didn't do it again. I learned and, my lesson. Yeah, I really did. That's the main thing. And, and, they and I think as me. an entrepreneur, well, as an entrepreneur, and that's what you got to kind of get dealt some tough blows here and there. And the question is, is are you going to do it again? Um, I always have patience for people's errors until it's like the same one over and over and over. And then I just think you're not paying attention now. Um, as a business grows, it typically needs more people. All you can do is all you can do. Um, now my business full scale has grown really fast because there is a huge, and I mean a huge shortage of skilled workers when it comes to tech. There are over 400,000 unfillable, uh, programming jobs, it related jobs in the U S like we don't even have people that can do them. Um, and that's why we have employees in the Philippines because, as as entrepreneurs and and business owners, we have to figure out what, how, where, when. If businesses don't have the resources or the people, which are resources, that they need to grow, thrive, or if they're priced out of that market, they're gonna they're gonna fail. Now, your industry has the exact same problem. Now, you guys grew up learning how to do this in most places, and I know people that the in in construction, I can't find welders or they can't find whatever, like how, how do is that a challenge in a town of 1400 people? And is that going to, is that one of the things you have to figure out if you want to make your company even bigger? Yeah, Matt, that's a great question, Eric here. Um, it is. And we've gone through tons of employees over the years. Uh, we're really, I'll, I'll use the word blessed right now that we have uh, five guys that would lay their life on the line for our company that are awesome guys that I actually look forward to going to work because of who they are and the amount of work I know we're going to get done every day. And it, the fact I know it's going to turn out looking awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, to find someone who has a driver's license, you know, a uh, has even a high school diploma B um, and is even interested in construction. C. Uh, if you have all three of those things, 
that's almost like a jackpot where we live that, you know, a lot of people will do construction as a last resort because you know what, it's hard work. You're in the sun, you're in the rain, you're in the snow. And if you don't really love it, then you're this, you're just there for a paycheck. And that's not ever going to be a good thing. Well, you know, Jamie, you mentioned graduating from high school prepared to be a contractor. That wasn't an option where I went to high school. That just wasn't, I mean, that wasn't a thing. And, and we wonder why we don't have people to do jobs. Well, neither was computer science. Now the demand grossly outpaced the ability to hire people. But two years ago, the state of Kansas, where I'm at, we had the whole entire state had 300 computer science graduates Ooh, for the wow. whole state. Like, think about that. I mean, that's, but it wasn't, it, people aren't trending to it. How do you think your industry fixes that? I mean, do we have to get back to vocational training? Or, I mean, is it like, how, how are we going to get around this? Because it, it is a problem. Uh, that's, that is a, a great question. And it is a major problem. You know, uh, Mike Rowe from the uh, Dirty Jobs television show and um, some of the other guys that teamed up from this old house television show from UNC TV have been really harping on this uh, and and trying to somehow promote the trades and and um, I don't I don't want to say convince young people that they they should get into the trades but really just expose it as a good option and that it can provide for them a good lifestyle if they will dedicate themselves to learn a trade um, you know we have hired many people that have very little skill or very little I should say experience in the trades. And we found that it is too much trouble to train somebody from a zero uh, experience level up to a, I'm going to just say, I'm not even going to put a number on it, but to a usable uh, skill level. Okay, from zero to usable is almost impossible to happen on the job. And as an employer, to feel like you're paying that person uh, to gain that experience is very difficult. So, And, and it's distracting. Highly. Oh, it, it is. It's distracting. It's discouraging. You, you can kind of get mad about it sometimes, uh, get frustrated. So I don't know. I don't know how to instill a passion for any of these trades or any of these uh, jobs into young people. But it, I mean, I, I'm very satisfied with the career path that I've chosen. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it if I had the option. Now, when it comes to my kids, you know, I have three kids um, that are very young. And, uh, you know, what am I going to encourage them to do? And I don't know. I think I'm going to tell them to follow whatever they become interested in, because I think the passion for what you do has really got to exist before you can put that effort into being very successful in anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we say we say that a lot. And so do a lot of our guests. And, you know, especially when it comes to startup founders, like before we're going to make an investment or really anyone is real question is, is does the per is the person in charge here? Are the are the drivers passionate? about solving the problem because if the if passion doesn't exist you quit you quit yep. when it gets tough you don't mm -hmm. care and it, and you know that and you said something you know as far as like training new people well that's the issue because i get a lot of people so i i'm i'm known around here for having a bunch of employees that aren't in the u.s and sometimes people that don't understand that they're like you're sending jobs away i'm like dude there's so many of them we can't fill that's not the issue. And then I've had other people like all these STEM programs. I'm like, okay, first off, they were doing this overseas 30 years ago. Like when I tell our employees in the Philippines about the new STEM program at my kid's preschool, they laugh. They're like, we did that 30 years ago. And it was, and that's the thing is that that's, what's challenging about some of this is because you don't get a level of agility when it comes to, cause you can't, you can't speed experience past a certain point. So like, you know, like a master craftsman, like there's only so many of them until the next, you know, group of people that come in. And that's and that's a real challenge for all industries. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand, like, dude, I know I know a plumber that makes a six figure income. Doing real well. He taught me there's only two things you need to know about plumbing um, and you guys can verify this. The first <laughs> one is that shit flows downhill. Okay. And the second one is that payday is on Friday. Yeah, I think you know, <laughs> so, figured out. Yeah, that's what my plumber yeah, says, actually. <laughs> made sense to me. Yeah, uh, was that yeah. our plumber? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I think it may, or it's, but the, here's the thing is, is, is and that's a challenge because, you know, like as you guys want to grow your business, um, you know, if you don't have the people to do it, it it's a challenge. And, yeah. and, and, <clears> and, <throat> and that can be really tough. And it's also like, you know, and, and that's that's where I think a lot of founders and, and entrepreneurs struggle because you want to kind of yeah. build towards that next 
generation of people. And, it, and it's, you guys are it, on some levels, things like I look at construction and carpentry and all that stuff. It's, there's a knowledge transfer, you know, you guys learn from your dad and I try to teach my kids, but if they don't, if my, my daughter's really passionate, she wanted a lemonade stand when she was three years old. And I didn't put that in her head. She just wanted to do it. She seems passionate about it. She likes, she also wants to start a YouTube channel. Oh. I asked her why she said it's because she wants to be rich and famous. Well, um, yeah. Uh, I was like, ah, yeah. so, you know, now, now before we, we run out of time, I want to get back into that a little bit. So, you know, I, I last fall, I, I did a class at global entrepreneur week about how to start a podcast. And I had about a hundred people show up. And the very first question I asked the crowd, now, by the way, no one will defeat your reality faster than me because I consider myself to be a realist. You mentioned starting your projects with a realistic output. Like you don't, you got to You got to have some idea of what you're getting into. So I'm standing here in front of this whole group of people. And I say, okay, who here wants to start a podcast? Cause they think it's going to create income. And that'll be the only thing that they have to do soon. And 80% of the room raised their hand. Oh, man. I immediately thought, I was like, oh, shit. I got, uh, I'm going to break a lot of hearts tonight. And, uh -huh. I, you know, I had to say, I said, okay, you need to put put your hands down because here's the reality that there is overwhelmingly, if not certain, that that's not going to occur. Now, and you guys building your channel have realized that because at one point you were putting a lot of time, a lot of effort, and you're like, I got 12 views. Mm -hmm. You got That's to power depressing. through that. Well, but it's reality because guess what? At one point we had 12 downloads right before, you know, and then we had to keep after it and you have to get through it. So a lot of yeah. people want to, you know, well, part of why we don't have kids and, and young adults that are in, doing skilled crafts is we have taught a whole generation of people that they're going to be Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook influencers. And uh, you know, that's tough. Now, I don't believe in luck. So you guys weren't lucky to build a following you powered through it. But as far as the YouTube channel, what are some things that that you could advise people on when it came to getting it moving or uh, other than just start? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a good way to do it is just to start. You know, I think for the most part, I would say that if you don't have something to offer the world as far as knowledge or a very high level of entertainment in some way, like you really are a comedian <laughs> and then you're probably going to have a really hard time. Um, unless you're just really entertaining in a kind of a dumb way, like you're going to go jump off a bridge and land on your head. But you know, for the long term, you know, it's going to take some knowledge, something you can give to someone else. In our case, we are trying to give knowledge, almost like you're talking about to the younger generation of construction can be a good thing and here's how to do this and here's how to do that and this isn't so hard if you know that trick and so we've tried to base our youtube channel around what people have asked me like hey eric on the job what do i do here and i'm like oh that's when i'm gonna make a video and some of the simplest videos that i've made that literally take five minutes somebody asked me a question i realized that it wasn't so clear to most people in the world what you're supposed to do in this uh specific instance and I made a video. Like use the speed square. Yeah, someone, I, I, I asked one of the guys, I had this other crew working for us, and one of the guys, I said, hey, cut me a couple 612 pitch top cuts on these rafters. And he looked at me like I had bats coming out of my ears. I was like, okay, hang on. Whoa, you don't know how to do that, do you? And he had been doing construction for years, years of his life, and didn't, didn't know how to use this tool that's in his tool pouch with him all day, every day. And that's one of our actually most viewed videos. Um, but most of the good videos are like that, where someone asked me a question and I realized in that moment that this is something, even though it's like second nature to me and Jamie, most people don't know how to do this. And um, so it's kind of depressing in a way. Some of those videos that you make in five minutes are wildly successful. And, and the thing about YouTube is sometimes you put so much effort into a video thinking it's going to be wildly successful and then nobody watches it and you're just like, dang it, really? You know, I really worked hard. Yeah, I really heard, you know, worked hard and, and nobody watched it. So 
it's such a weird dynamic on YouTube. You never, you never know until you put it out there, man. Yeah, it's the same it's, thing with our podcast episodes. Like, I think that Speed Square video has got like 2 million views. Like, who are you people? And by the way, you did teach me how to use a Speed Square. I'm still, not, I'm not going to be very good at it because yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Now, you talk about YouTube. I think it's such an, you know, I, I, when I talk to people in general, like, I want to do this, I want to do that. I'm like, well, what's stopping you? I don't know how. So I, I kind of downplayed, I'd never built anything serious out of wood until three years ago, where I def, I rebuilt an entire deck, two levels big. And I learned all of it by watching YouTube videos. And okay. there were some spots where I had to take mm -hmm. it apart and put it back together again. And I had to learn a lot of stuff. And it took me way longer than it should have, but I got it figured out. And I did it all watching videos. And and, you know, since then, and, and you look at this podcast, which, by the way, you know, I tell people, if you don't like it, we got a money back guarantee. It's free. <laughs> we are in a golden age of free knowledge. Free information. And you can, it really is. It's out yeah. there. The only thing that is stopping you from acquiring that is your inability to ask Google or YouTube. Um, and you know, th that's the thing is like, it's out there, man. There's people, there are the Eric and Jamie Perkins of the world teach. You can learn how to do anything on YouTube. Trust me, like weird shit, useful shit. <laughs> all yeah. of it. I mean, there's someone teaching it out there. So it's now, that said, you're not, you're not the only people, you're not the only people or person that is showing someone how to use a speed square or, but not everybody has a hundred at this point, 120,000. By the time this comes out, you'll probably have 130,000 subscribers. So what do you think the key is for getting people to care and actually watch or subscribe? Because I mean, there's something there. They, they got, they don't have to subscribe. Yeah, that's a good question. And, um, I, I'm going to go ahead and just say my best answer is that, uh, we try to make it fun to watch and try really hard to make good videos. Uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of people recently on the, we get lots of emails and calls from our fans and I always ask them, what, what do you like about our channel? And a lot of them will say, you know, we're actually in construction and we don't know some of the stuff that's in your videos, but we actually know like most of it, but we just like to watch you tell us about it. Cause it's kind of entertaining. And uh, we can tell you guys with your crew are really having a fun time doing what you're doing. And I think that's really the answer that, that be I've genuine. Don't most. take it too seriously. Yeah. 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 Don't take it too yeah. seriously. Like put your mistakes yeah. in the videos, put all your mistakes, yeah. not all of them. That would be a long video, Put put some mistakes <laughs> in your videos. <laughs> uh, I was going to say and add to that, that, you know, a lot of the information, the content, um, is not really that exciting in itself, you know? So we try to, you know, we try to present it in a way that is fun, that that keeps people's attention and that makes them want to hear whatever it is that we're going to say next. And and Eric does all the editing for us. So I'm going to say props to Eric uh, for doing an excellent job with, uh, with the editing and making it actually fun to watch. We throw a lot of what we call B-roll in, which is uh, the stuff that is uh, videoed um, usually before we talk and then we throw up the pictures of the things that we're describing. So we say, all right, we're talking about this piece of wood and then boom, you show a shot of that piece of wood. And then we're talking about this and then boom, you see the shot of exactly what we're talking about. It's easy to follow. Um, I think at least, and easy to understand. And it, and it kind of keeps your attention from one thing to the next. And we try to keep it that way on purpose. I think the thing that stands out about your videos that is advice that I try to give people is you get right to the point too. I don't have to watch three minutes worth of bullshit before mm -hmm. you start actually telling me what's up and I, I and people don't under people grossly underestimate the impatience that digital media users have for anything like if your intro is too long they bounce if you sit there and like get to the point um my, my book editor uh it's a lead with a need you know, like it, you got to get people to pay attention and fast, like think about mm -hmm. how fast you scroll down the, the, the screen on your phone, because that's about how much time you have to wow. get yeah. people's attention. Yeah. So wow. if you, and, and that's another thing too, if you're not getting right into it, like, I mean, and that's, and that's tough because you have, I mean, get right to the point is all I got to say on YouTube. I, I agree with you on that. With, I've got the perfect yeah. example. I watched, a, I watched a drag race of a Ford F-150 5.0 versus a Ford F-150 3.5 EcoBoost. It was a 20-minute video. 
and I know what a drag That's race too is long, like. Dude. That's been three minutes seconds. into it. Though. Yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wow. How could they drag it out that long? I don't know. I didn't yeah. watch well, the, YouTube, the end of it. YouTube, YouTube did that to us a little bit when they put the 10 minute uh, right. floor on putting certain types of ads in and they wanted mm. people to have longer engagement in that regard but you know and a lot of people don't know this but if your youtube video isn't 10 minutes long you you can only do certain types of ads you can only do specific stuff and so that's why you see so many things that feel stretched out and um you know i and i and i think that as far as i I think you are spot on about getting people to watch like dude look you it, it can you can be in the video but it doesn't need to be about you get right to the point. You have to teach some, so you have to teach someone something you have to entertain them. Um, you have to provide something of value. Cause unless you, and like you get these like Logan Paul guys that like do the splits or who, is that the guy that does the splits? You're like, how do, <laughs> I, how do, how do people watch this? I don't know about that, but, uh, well, I, I talked to one guy with a, with a, you know, when I was with JC Lopez of urban necessities at a, at a convention and this dude had two and a half million YouTube subscribers. And all he did was this weird flex thing and like some other stuff. Crazy? I was like, oh, God, yeah, yeah that's I think the, the kind of thing that would make you depressed when you're a YouTuber. Yeah. The, the, the main thing that I, I think I've learned when it comes to whether it's, whether it's podcast uh, social media, uh, YouTube, any type of publication is you have to have consistency and regularity because you will be forgotten as quickly as they even knew who you were. Yeah. And if you, you know, just that in some, some people, they'll, they'll publish three videos in a day and then they won't do another one for like three weeks. And yeah. you need to keep in mind when you have people subscribing, whether it's through a podcast, uh, in, in, on following you on Instagram, any of that, they get uh, most of those people get a push notification that says you've done something new. And if, you know, if you're waiting three weeks, well, you don't look real serious and there's a lot of competition, um, you know, put, putting the, I don't know the the internet's made the world pretty small. All right. So once again with us today, Eric and Jamie Perkins, Perkins brother builders, go down to the show notes, check out their channel, do some stuff. Now, I'm just happy I've got three people here because we're going to play mixtape and I didn't, I'm going to make up a card, but normally I have some different cards to choose from. So mixtape the game, go to mixtapethegame.com. You can download the app on iOS or Android. I'm going to read a scenario and we are all going to pick a song that comes to mind. And then we will vote for who the winner is. You cannot vote for yourself. And like I said, I'm going to invent a mixtape card. The song that plays in your head right after you hit your thumb with a hammer. Oh, man. <laughs> um, all right. My, my song is Praise the Lord, pray, Praise the Lord, Oh My Soul. That's the one I sing. <laughs> I can't say that that comes to mind immediately. <laughs> yeah. but gives you the option to sing it if you'd like, yeah. but I won't re- it, so. um praise the lord praise the lord oh my soul <laughs> oh gosh yeah you might win just for that yeah. eric you have a submission mine is just any opera song where you would just do this long oh. belt until you just throw up at the end because that's usually what happens you'll scream and then it hurts so bad you throw up so yeah just like a and then <laughs> and then throw up I'm going to go with whatever that Limp Biscuit song is where it's one of those days where you don't want to wake up. You know, I don't know, man. Yeah. I couldn't really come up. I, I haven't hit my thumb with a hammer. I, I also want to say want to. Fuck You by CeeLo Green, but that's been banned from play. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, okay. So we have a song which DeCourcy doesn't know the title to whatever jamie picked and an opera and opera this is maybe the worst round of mixtape ever but we do have to vote no current artists in this list (laughs) i'm giving i know i know this would really confuse the mixtape app which is available on ios and android i'm gonna give jamie my vote because he was brave enough to sing okay wow i appreciate that i was gonna vote for eric because that's probably the most common sound you hear when the when the thumbs get hit with a hammer well, that uh, means it's up to you, man. Yeah. Well, if I vote for you, it's a tie. I can't vote for me, so I'll vote for Jamie for the win. 
Hey, boom. Wow, I didn't know I was so good at this game. <laughs> Congratulations, Jamie. You are the winner of this episode's oh, wow. <laughs> really Thank you. much in need of improvement round of mixtape. So I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that's that's mm. oh, it's good. It's good. Hey, some we've had rounds where there literally aren't answers. I'm like, pick a song, name it any song, any song. Uh, um, yeah. I, you know, and I thought you were gonna say I did it all for the nookie, but I don't yeah. really know what that means, you know. When, we're still trying I, to figure I don't, that I don't. out. We all are. We all are. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I was trying to think of something that that had a bang in it, and I just couldn't. I couldn't even get that in. So, who knows? It's a good thing we mark these episodes as explicit. So, yeah. but once again, with us, Jamie and Eric Perkins of the Perkins Builder Brothers. Check them out on YouTube. Find them. You can probably see these guys on on cable TV in the not so distant future. So, guys, thanks for taking time to to sit down and chat with us. Uh, I think we'll uh, probably have you back later for a for a YouTube influencers bit, uh, related podcast or something. We had too much to talk about. Now, I knowing that I now know how to use a speed square. I got to run. So I'll see you guys All next right. time. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks. thanks for having us, Matt. Enjoyed it. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.